0: Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks, this Voss here from the Chris The Chris Welcome to the big show, my family friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. The Chris Voss Show, the family loves you. But doesn't judge you, at least not as harshly as your mother in law. Anyway, go clean your room. Anyway, as always, for the show to your family, friends, and relatives, you only go to goodreads.com for Chess Chris Foss, YouTube.com for Chess Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com for Chess Chris Foss. to the big LinkedIn newsletter. That thing's killing it over there. And uh, I don't know what's going on, man. That LinkedIn has really turned into something, something else. We have an amazing author on the show. Uh, she's the author of the book that came out March 21st, 2020. 23. Dana Sachs is the author. She's on the show with us today, and her brilliant insight and her research and experience with her new book, All Else Failed, The Unlikely Volunteers at the Heart of the Migrant Aid Crisis. She joins us on the show today to talk about it, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty insightful. We're going to learn a lot about uh, history, things that go on, and hopefully how to create a better world. Dana Sachs is a journalist, novelist, and co-founder of the nonprofit. Humanity Now, direct refugee release—a relief. I'm sorry, which supports grassroots teams providing aid to displaced people. A former Fulbright scholar, she is the author of three works of nonfiction: *The House on Dream Street*, *Memoir of an American Woman in Vietnam*, *The Life We Were Given*. Operation Baby Lift, international adoption, and the children of war in Vietnam, and all else failed. The unlikely volunteers at the heart of the migrant aid crisis that has just come out, as well as the novels. If you lived here, the secret of Nightingale Palace. Her writings appeared in numerous publications, including the Wall Street Journal, National Green geographic and mother jones and she lives in Wilmington, north carolina welcome to the show dana how are you
1: thank you i'm fine thanks it's great to be here
0: thank you and it's an honor to have you as well congratulations on the launch of your new book where's your dot com so you'd like to have people find you on the internet
1: uh www.danasax.com.
0: there you go and you've written quite a few books there uh what made you motivated to want to write this particular one
1: Well, I actually went to Greece to volunteer with the grassroots aid effort In um, April of 2016 Mm -hmm. and I just I went with a friend of mine who works with refugees in the United States and she told me she was going over there to volunteer and I had really mostly thought about humanitarian aid in terms of you know the International Rescue Committee and the Red Cross and the United Nations and I said to her you can just go over there and volunteer and she said you can Mm -hmm. and in fact they need people because the mainstream organizations and the governments that we expect to help were really not managing it in Greece at that time. And there were hundreds of thousands of people who were moving through Greece over a period of about um, just a few months. And they needed they needed everything, like blankets, food, clothing. They got, they'd got gotten off boats. So, it, you know, those small dinghies you saw photographs of, and they had nothing. So a lot of um, individuals just went there to help. And when I got there and I saw what this... Uh, grassroots effort looked like, I thought this is an amazing story. And so mm-hmm. I decided to write the book about it.
0: There you go. And, and what was, so we can dial this back for history. Some people watch your videos 10 years from now. Um, what, what was the, what was the proponent that caused this uh, huge migrant aid crisis?
1: Well, you could say that, um, at that point in 2015 and 2016, it was really the wars in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So the war, especially the war in Syria, uh, the majority of the people were coming from Syria. They had escaped into Turkey. They found in Turkey that they couldn't they couldn't work. They couldn't make it happen for their families. And so they as one of the people in my book told me that he and his family had had made it to Syri- to Turkey and they thought they'd wait out the war there. And then they just couldn't get work. They couldn't they couldn't provide for the family. And he said he felt like Turkey was saying, get on a boat and go to Europe.
0: There you go. Mm-hmm. And, and so what made you interested in this? Uh, what, what sort of life path that, uh, you know, made you say, hey, I'm going to go volunteer for this? Because a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of send money from afar. Or they kind of watch the TV and they go, well, that's lots and prayers. What made you want to really involve your life in it? What, what kind of built you as that sort of person that, that felt that was important?
1: Um, I've always been a traveler and I think travel expands your view. It connects you to people in a deeper way than just reading about things and, um, I lived in Vietnam for a, a long time and I wrote several books about Vietnam. And I think when I, I when I went there for the first time in like 1989, 1990, I was sort of shocked to see how much I had in common with Vietnamese people because I'd grown up during the war and I just had an idea of like Vietnamese as being the enemy. And of course that was not the case. And I wrote several books to sort of like convey that to an American audience. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I, you could go back that far and say that 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 experience opened up my mind to the idea that we can learn so much from other people. And by whenever I have the opportunity to meet people from different cultures and try to learn from them, I, I jump at it.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important that everyone does that. That we understand, uh, you know, that even though there's different cultures around the world, we're still we're still a humanity. We're still a group of people that are are human beings at their core. And it was interesting to see uh you know how massive this uh this migrant thing was and you know the, the war that was going on in syria largely and other things going on in the middle east with uh, al-qaeda and, and all the craziness that was going on during that time uh how many people uh, were running were, were migrating out of out of uh out of the middle east and trying to get into places of europe
1: well i can tell you that um Over the course of the year 2015, and I didn't get to Greece till 2016, but in 2015, a million people, migrants and refugees, um, came through. I'm not sure if it was just Greece or into Europe, across the Mediterranean, but mostly coming in through Greece. And... during that time, they were mostly um, moving north. The borders were still open, so they were able to move north into other parts of, of Europe. And I, I'm sure you can remember all the photographs of these long lines of people walking down rural roads and, um, you know, children carrying teddy bears and parents carrying children, and they had whatever they could carry on their backs. And um, But then in, in the beginning of 2016, Europe basically decided enough, too many people, and so they closed the border of Greece, between Greece and the countries north of Greece, particularly Macedonia, and um, that meant that any people who had come into Greece before that but hadn't gotten out were effectively stuck, and that was something like 60,000 people at that time, and that's why a lot of um, makeshift camps developed along the border where those people were just waiting, hoping to cross
0: yeah and i mean there was the images uh, i remember the one that was in the guardian and and other places of the the boy face down laying on the beach Uh, there were there were syrians that were drowning their boats were returning uh it it was a hell of a crisis and you know these these we we see if you if you've seen the cities in syria that were just basically, I uh, don't you know, Carford bombed is the right word, but just basically bombed and destroyed to death where the cities became inhabitable cities with millions of people, I think, in them. And uh, just the, the images are heartbreaking. They were um, just seeing seeing people go through these crises. Was, were we not prepared for this sort of thing? Were the, the, uh, the, you know, like the UN and other refugee services not prepared for it? Or was... Was it financially overwhelming, or what was the crisis that made it uh, such a need that that so many volunteers had to come to aid?
1: Um, there were both sort of political and institutional reasons. They, they were not prepared, partly because... Um, For the most part, the United Nations and some of these other large humanitarian aid organizations, they don't do humanitarian relief in Europe. The idea is Mm -hmm. that Europe can take care of itself. And and this was the largest humanitarian emergency or movement of people, if you want to call it, um, since the end of World War II. So these organizations were, um, they should have been prepared but they weren't prepared, and when the numbers of people started to increase, they w- weren't really sure what to do. Mm-hmm. So they just basically were um, doing the minimal, and that's why there was such a large effort among individuals and small grassroots aid teams to fill those gaps. Mm-hmm.
0: And and uh, you follow a, 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 a group of uh, refugees going through the whole process in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, to my understanding, uh, some of the families, uh, seven different individual men, women, and their families. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that and the journey that they go on.
1: Well, my idea was to was to. Talk really focus on these volunteers and the people who got involved in the volunteer effort. As it turns out, the seven individuals and families I focused on, three of them were um, women from from non-conflict ridden countries, you know, one from New Zealand, two from the United um, Kingdom. Um, But the other four were actually refugees who became involved in the volunteer effort as a way of helping themselves and their families. And I would also say, and I think this becomes clear in the book, you sort of see how becoming a volunteer and stepping forward and helping other refugees helped a lot of these people to bring dignity back to their own lives. Mm
0: -hmm. And these are, these are people who have lost everything. They've been driven for their homes, mm-hmm. probably bombed from their homes.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: they're, they're escaping, you know, they've reached a point, you know, it, it takes a lot. I I don't think you know I've talked to people about the migrant crisis whether it's south of our borders or, or in other countries, but, but it takes a lot to drive people from their homes. It takes a lot. Sometimes it's sometimes it's pretty much a, a threat of death. Whether it's uh, local mobs or or whether it's you know prevailing uh, political winds like with what was going on with Syria. But it takes a lot to people to just uproot themselves from a place they call home, from a country they know, from a place they're born in, to want to run someplace. And especially if they're a family-oriented, you know, they've got kids, uh, they've got whatever the case may be, and to leave with just whatever few belongings they can pack or they have the privilege to take on their back and travel with. and maybe not in the best of health, I remember watching people escaping uh, Ukraine at the outbreak of the war, Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of older people who couldn't walk were in wheelchairs trying to cross, you know, chasms that were bombed out on roads and stuff, and, you know, you see the people that are affected the most, uh, you know, are usually families and older people, people that, you know, they can't deal with this sort of bombardment that they're taking, but it takes a lot to cross that that uh, Rubicon of going, well, we need to abandon everything and run.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Um, The people that I know and have talked to, they continue. I mean, even years later, they still suffer. It's a heartbreak. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't think you and i we're not refugees and we can't understand what that what the experience is like but we can understand what it means to love your home and mm-hmm. to be connected to your family and the people who live in your neighborhood and um, the language i mean when you when you leave we're lucky we speak english because english is now really a universal language but if you leave your homeland and you don't speak english or another language you your status goes down immediately, your ability to function goes down immediately. For men in a lot, I mean, especially who are like maybe the the heads of the family, the sense of like powerlessness and weakness um, that that they can feel by going somewhere where they can't function. I mean, even something like um, going to a doctor becomes really difficult or, or the legal system and trying to get asylum or opening a bank account all of those things you you become sort of in, maybe in your own mind your confidence drops down and these are these are these are parts some of the tragedies that that people experience when they leave the place where they've grown up and functioned for their whole mm-hmm. lives
0: yeah and and it it takes a lot i mean imagine putting the most important things i mean i have a i have a case that I call the football and it's a case that's the grab and run case if mm-hmm. the if the if my house is on fire flood you know whatever the thing is these are my most valuable items my mm-hmm. my photos my recordings my uh my dog's ashes uh, you know some of the these are the things that I really feel I can't live without yeah. there's no way I could carry this box on my back for any given time more than five minutes it's heavy as heck uh but it's meant to be a grab and run and and if you had to ask me and and probably without any preparation you know a moment's notice that i would have to grab what small items that i have to decide to carry in a backpack and then carry those for miles and miles you know in in hunger rain you know whatever the the case may be um and uh, without any other pro- real provisions or trying to carry provisions of food and water, I, I really don't know what I would cut that down to. Exactly. And you know, I see that when I see migrants moving through the world, whether it's south of our border or or in other places, you know, literally carrying almost nothing. Uh, and some and sometimes you'll see a child carrying a, a doll or or a teddy mm-hmm. bear or something that's important to them. But you, but you think about the hundreds or thousands of miles they may circumvent, cross the the things are going to deal with uh, the, the things that were going on in that crisis where they're trying to cross uh small seas and oceans and, and, and get to, you know, any place there could be safety. And it, it really was an overwhelming experience. What do you hope, what do you hope people come away from reading your book? Uh, what, what do you hope that uh, uh, the impact might be?
1: Well, I'm going to just come back for a second and refer to what you're talking about, about what people give up. And then I'll come, I'll return to that question. But I, um, I, in the book I record, there's there's one family that um, each time they move, so they go to Turkey, and then they, they make it to Greece, and then they eventually they make it to Germany. But each time they make one of these moves, they have to give up some of the stuff that they've brought with them. They, they leave Syria with... Um, you know, big you know, suitcases full of luggage and then they leave Turkey and they have to throw things out and you can see um, the mother talking with her children and the the, the, wow. the daughters are saying, can I keep my school uniform? No. Can I keep my documents from school? No. Can I keep this doll? No. And it goes in the wastebasket. And so, yeah, what you're saying about about the, the kind of, the loss of physical things that mean something, maybe they can keep one photograph or their, their passport, but hmm. very Little and so I mean of course obviously that is one of the things I'm trying to convey um, in the book is 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 the is the experience of of refugees but I also would say that. Um, We do have we have opportunities to read about the experience of refugees um, in that way um, in in the media, in books. Um, Luckily, there's been a lot written about refugees and luckily there's a lot of memoirs out by refugees about their experience. And I celebrate that. Mm -hmm. I think that the particular thing that this book in this book I was trying to capture was the idea that people can rally and respond to crisis by working together and by um, a kind of generosity that um, we don't expect. I think when we, when we watch um, uh, video footage of, of these crises, or we read about it, we often just see the disaster. I mean, even if you're talking about Ukraine, we just see the disaster. And we rarely see the moments, and there are so many, when people begin to coalesce around each other to support each other and help and that's what i really wanted to capture in this book the way that individuals can get involved and and i mean we need we need the government and the and the large humanitarian institutions we can't do this without them and they need to improve but we also need to see the roles that we can play and and how much we can learn from it and how much we can um how we can find it meaningful in our own lives to get involved as well.
0: Yeah. And you talk in the book about NGOs being mm-hmm. completely out of touch, the Red Cross, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That, uh, give us a little uh, touching on that.
1: I mean, I don't want to, I, like I said, I, I, I don't want to say that they're um, useless. Mm-hmm. They just... They need to be better. We we really need them to be better. Um, they 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 are not nimble. They are not flexible. They are not easily adaptive to the crises that come up, and therefore um, they can they can do major things in very slow ways, but they can't necessarily respond to changing situations in ways that are really effective.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you does, do you think that uh, those NGOs have learned from? From the crisis, and have have maybe prepared themselves for these things uh, better.
1: I would like to think so. You know, the way I describe um, the failures of the NGOs and the um, European Union and you know individual governments is that is that um, I, I kind of I compare it to a a fire in a house. The house is burning down. And um, the fire trucks that you think are going to come don't come, and so the neighbors step forward and they do what they can to help. And and I'm trying to really focus on this effort by the neighbors. And 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 I see that the fire trucks didn't come. I can tell you that, and I can tell you that the house burned down, though I can't necessarily say why. But but I don't. I don't call myself an expert on, on um, the structures of non-governmental organizations and humanitarian organizations. So I would like to say that they are learning and adapting, but I, I, I'm not really seeing evidence of that. If we look at um, uh, the Ukraine crisis, um, I'm, I'm not seeing that there's such a huge change.
0: Yeah, the you know, it, 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 it's interesting to me how we lose the humanity of it. Oh, you know, we always have these words that we put on people. Oh, they're immigrants. Oh, they're human beings. You know, George Carlin talked about the importance of language and words and stuff and and how sometimes we use words to be dismissive, to take away the emotion, to take away, oh, that's painful to think about. So we're going to dissolve the word down into something that doesn't mean as much you know mm-hmm. um you know and, and and by doing that it makes it more palatal across the news when we see it you know when we call somebody an immigrant i mean this this country was founded on immigrants my grandfather mm-hmm. my great-grandfather was an immigrant
1: mm-hmm. um
0: to this country i mean we came in the late 1800s if it wasn't for immigration policy in america and Statue of liberty i suppose uh the uh you know well, I wouldn't be here most of us wouldn't actually in this country when it really comes down to it uh mm-hmm. it, it'd probably still be Native Americans um so you know it's 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 interesting the attitudes that come of it and how we deface the humanity of it and we we just kind of see them as well these people are uh, you know almost invaders is is how sometimes it, there's mm-hmm. some news channels that present them that way and and so I think books like yours are are great because they show the humanity that these are real people. These are, and 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 in any and when we look at folks that are going through these processes or challenges, we understand that it it wouldn't take much for us to for some of us to become in the same sort of thing. I mean, a cast rock of event, nuclear. Yeah. Uh, some sort of, uh, you know, major earthquake or some sort of thing. You know, we've seen that recently with tornadoes and things, think things destroying whole cities. Uh, You know, there's, it doesn't take much to lose everything and and to be adrift. And uh, so, uh, you know, how do we need to, how do we need to look at um, immigrants more? How do we need to understand this process? How do we need to do better? I think is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I tell I, I, one of the um, central characters in my book, she's a care. I'm calling her a character, but she's of course a real person. Um, I, I call her Rima. I, I changed the names of the, the refugees for their privacy and safety. Um, she's a, a Syrian uh, housewife. Who lived in a town outside of Aleppo? You mentioned Aleppo, which was basically destroyed. And um, she had five children and one more on the way. And you know, when I say, when I I, I like to use the word housewife because housewife is a word we can relate to in this country. I like to say, and this is true, that she loved organic. She loves organic cosmetics, and she was, you know, loved to have parties at her house in in Syria, and and all these kinds of things. I'm I'm trying to remind people of how similar we are her life was not that different from ours you know she had a really nice kitchen and she had marble floors and um she was a chef and 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 so when things started to really go downhill in her community and she and her husband had to decide okay we're gonna flee um I by describing her as someone a lot like us I'm hoping that you can see that she's not she's not Um, she's not that different. And we often see photographs of the people once they've made it a long way on their journeys and they have, um, you know, they're wearing, they could be wearing almost rags and they have nothing and they're dirty and they, they might, you know, be wearing shoes that are way too small for them because they've ended up with um, clothing that's been distributed to them through some charitable organization. And um, so they, they, they become less and less like us and they become more and more, um, Something different, something other. And we see that at the border. I mean, when in Me- the Mexico border, because those are people who have had extraordinarily difficult journeys to get where they are. And they look a lot of them look worn out and terrible. And as I mean, in contrast, Last year when the war started in Ukraine, we saw people fleeing Ukraine um, with a, you know, a, suitcase, a roller suitcase and sweaters and nice coats because they had not been through a journey like that. They drove to the border and they crossed. So I think it's important for us to see that the people who are making these journeys are, are people that could be us. Mm -hmm. very easily be us and it and if we feel this kind of affinity with the ukrainians crossing the border because they look like us it's not just because of race although i think race is part of it um it's also because they didn't have they didn't make this they didn't escape a war that had been going on for a long time at least last year um and they they came across looking healthier
0: yeah Mm -hmm. and you bring up a good point i think that when people and and race plays a big factor in it but when people see these folks and they've been traveling thousands of miles by foot Mm -hmm. uh through water mud rain you know whatever the elements are yeah you know they look dirty they look they look like they they haven't had a good time and they haven't um it, but we don't see them as to where you know, like you mentioned. You know they had a beautiful life. They had something they thought was be forever. They had their home. Their mm-hmm. their their domicile they had they had their job they had their work they had the clothes you know and you know i mean i've seen pictures before and after of places like syria but the before and afters of ukraine and, and and you see the shops and you see the the coffee places that people used to go to the stores they used to shop and they had a normal life just like many of us do in 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 worlds that haven't been torn apart yet uh, knock on wood. Yeah. And why is it important? You know, one of the factors that came out of the 2015 uh, migrant crisis was an extreme uh, blowback of, of right-wing um, sort of anger or response to migrants. And this whole sort of uh, thing that I, I despise, that we have this, instead of being benevolent, we have this uh, knee-jerk reaction that goes to... Um, You know if if we have to help someone then it takes away from us that there's a scarcity mindset to it instead of a benevolence mindset that a rising tide lifts all boats and you know even in america you know we're suffering from you know not having enough people in the workforce right now or we're suffering from inflation you know we're like oh we shouldn't bring new people into this country well that's what made America great was bringing immigrants in and, and having this huge melting pot of ideas, you know, somewhere else, brilliant minds, Steve jobs, the head of Google right now came from other countries and without them, you, you go, mm, where would we be without some of these things? So, um, how do you, do you feel that maybe in your book uh, or focusing on this migrant, uh, sort of element that we need to change our mindset towards immigrants?
1: Um, yeah I mean, that's the ideal. I think um most of us came from an immigrant background ourselves, at least a few generations back. and um uh, I think there's a lot of fear. there's a lot of fear in our country and in other countries that um, people are afraid that they will lose what they have um and and it's a it's a different mindset i don't i honestly, I don't know the way to combat that. And 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 shift the mindset to see it as a positive thing. Um, I think fear is a difficult thing to to change, but I do think that when people come into contact with immigrants and they see um, what they bring to this country, I think it helps to. Um, Give people a little bit more of an open mind about about the possibility, and I absolutely agree with you about. I mean, demographically, we need more people. We need more workers in this country. And when you look at immigrants, it's quite amazing what they're able to do. I mean, as I said, I spent a lot of time in Vietnam, and I've I've been watching the um, the Vietnamese refugee community um, for a few generations now, and and over and over again, you see you see them arriving in this country and working as, as, you know, bussers in restaurants or um, dishwashers and the next generation goes to college and there's the next generation might be surgeons I mean I've seen that like a mm-hmm. bus boy and then their, their children are surgeons and scientists and scholars and lawyers and all of these different things um, or business owners I mean we're all eating Vietnamese food all the time now in this country <laughs> and, and, and I think that's great you know personally I find that it makes our country much stronger and more interesting and better and and economically sounder. Um, but I think it takes a kind of shift in your mind to start to see it as a positive thing.
0: There you go. I mean, last, last month we interviewed uh, billionaire, John Katsumid, uh, Matitas, uh on the show and he came from a Greece immigrant family and they mm-hmm. came with nothing and they were broke and their, their father had, you know, worked every hard job he possibly could mm-hmm. uh, to, to make ends meet and the next generation is a billionaire. Um, and he's had a, an effect and, and he does great charity and stuff, uh, an effect on the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it, it, there, what do you think about, uh, do you have any thought, sort of thoughts on uh, what I've always been kind of shocked by is the close the door behind you mentality of immigrants? Like we, we've seen a lot of Cuban and uh, uh, Mexican immigrants that come to this country, they get established, they get their, they get their, uh, citizenships and they believe that migrants shouldn't come to this country anymore. It's the, the they call it the closed door behind me policy.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: it, is, it comes from that scarcity mindset as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or address that in your book at I all. Mean, but, I,
1: I don't re- address it in my book, but I, I, I feel sadness about that because yeah. I, like I said, I, I believe that that immigration makes us a stronger country. I mean, I really deeply believe that, and so um, this kind of scarcity mentality is not helpful.
0: Yeah and and we you know rising tide lifts all boats i mean when you have scarcity mentality that's a that's a losing mentality if this country had had a had a, had a scarcity mentality you, you just can't think of how bad it would be i mean there's there was the times in the uh i think it was the 20 or the 30s when we shipped a uh, jewish ship back to germany um which ended up in the holocaust uh you know, it, we, we had this, we had this defeatist sort of nationalist uh, scarcity program. And, you know, we're going through a crisis. A lot of countries are going to, are going through a crisis right now. China, Japan, where they're, their populations are dwindling their yeah. marriage rates the production of children are dwindling and when that happens your tax base falls off your 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 empires fall down you know you have significant seismic shifts in what you know our core families to building blocks of of countries i mean and and so this makes a demographic change i mean you're seeing it you're seeing Japan literally starting to disappear off the face of the earth with its dwindling population. The housings, their houses, just sitting around empty because their dwindling population and of course their new generation can't afford it. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you bring some light to this. I'm glad you bring, shine the humanity of it because when I see people that are immigrants i see human beings i see people i see people that would that i can empathize with that very easily i could be in their situation mm-hmm. uh with any turn of events especially you know some of the seismic shifts we've seen with climate and uh you know disasters uh from that
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: anything more you want to tease on the book before we go
1: um i think that it's important as you said to see that and to 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 I'm trying to bring a little bit of hope into this this question of what's um, you know what it means. What does migration mean to us? And and I think I, if I think if you start to see it in a positive way. And in my book, I try to weave together the stories of all these different people, not just the refugees, but also the the, the volunteers who saw this crisis from a distance and went there because they thought that they could help and um, I, I'm not saying that everybody who reads this book that I expect them to like jump on a plane or get in their car and go to the Mexican border or whatever but there are so many ways that we can get involved um, in our own communities to do something for people who need help and and the purpose of that is not to do it out of guilt but because it, it, it brings something into our own lives and it helps others and I think there's a value in that and I think people who, who volunteer often find that there's a rich in their lives and in the experience that they didn't expect so I hope people will read the book and and feel inspired by it not just by what it shows us about what humans are capable of doing but also maybe be inspired to reach out a little bit themselves in their own lives
0: yeah and what are some of the best ways people can help if they want to help because there's still people going through immigration uh, crises mm-hmm. around the world what are some of the best ways that people can help uh, from all of different factions
1: well, I mean, if people literally want to try to help um, in the in the human, global humanitarian effort, I recommend an organization called Indigo Volunteers, mm. and they um, it's a free service that will match people who want to help, um, want to go somewhere and, and volunteer, um, usually for a few weeks. And if you have skills like you're if you're if you're a doctor or um, a lawyer who could offer legal advice, you know. Um, or, or anything you know if you can if you have the skills to work in a warehouse and help to organize things um, or a teacher all these kinds of things um, I, I, re- I recommend checking them out Indigo volunteers and um, but in your own community I mean whatever charitable organizations in your com- community that you hear about that are doing work you might just um, call them up and check them out and, and find out and it might take a while to find a volunteer opportunity that is meaningful to you maybe the first couple of things you do you don't enjoy because there's certain Certainly things that I've done before as a volunteer that I didn't want to do again. But um, in time, if you keep at it, I think you'll find something that you'll find um, really rewarding and it'll be helpful too.
0: There you go. Pay it forward. Help other people in life. Uh, you know, we, we make ourselves better when we help other people in life. And I think that's what's great about your book is we need more humanity. We need to care about these people. And, uh, you know, it's, it, uh, what an amazing America we built. What an amazing country. What an amazing democracy. We have built, and this is this is a grand experiment, and it is a melting pot of people. And uh, I don't think America would ever be as, as great as as it is. I'm not saying it's the greatest. We we have our issues, where we zig and zag, as uh, President Obama said it. Um, you know, but but in the end, you know, we're we're a shiny beacon to the world when i when I see people who want to come to this country who are willing to give up everything to come here because they believe in the american dream i mean what a what an inspiration what ins- you know we take so much of this country for granted you know those of us who are born here and grow up here and haven't seen much of the world but but to have people that that will put their life on the line. that that will put their children's life on the line to give them a better life. You know, I saw, I remember, uh, when the, when the, the final days of, of us evacuating Afghanistan, you saw mothers throwing babies to soldiers to, to, to give them up to just, just to get them to America. I mean, you, you you just saw it and and some of the narratives that are out there i i hope people will 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 deal with you know some of the narratives that are fed by sometimes networks that say well you know we we should vet people that come to america we should make sure they're not terrorists and they go through a huge vetting process they go through a huge background process it takes years sometimes to get your citizenship here and uh and yeah they're not it isn't a free ride by any means of anything if you see these people. So I'm glad you're addressing this. I'm glad you're, you've written about it and brought a human, human face to it. And uh, hopefully we can all learn from it. Uh, give us the .coms where people can find you on the interwebs and get to know you better.
1: Okay, I'm at www.danasachs.com, www.danasachs, and the nonprofit uh, that I co-founded is called um, Humanity Now, and it's at humanity-now.org, and we, um, it's all volunteer, and we uh, support grassroots aid efforts in Greece and in um, surrounding Ukraine, and um, 100% of the money that people donate to Humanity Now goes to directly to grassroots efforts.
0: There you go. Thank you very much, Dana, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
1: I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you. And uh, order up the book, folks. Wherever fine books are sold, share the wealth, share the knowledge, get people educated on what's going on in the world. All Else Failed. The Unlikely Volunteers at the Heart of the Migrant Aid Crisis, available wherever fine books are sold, uh, March 21st, 2023. Thanks, man, for tuning in. Uh, be sure to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives because it's a five star rating over there on iTunes. We certainly love those ratings that you guys always give. Goodreads.com, uh, for just Chris Foss, YouTube.com, for Chris Foss, LinkedIn. Chris Foss, and all those crazy places those kids play on the internet. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. And that's should-